0: if you could generate enough real world evidence, could it actually provide updates to indications or update a medicine's SPC going forward? And I think there's definitely opportunities in that area. I think we need to start exploring them more. And certainly the base that we're setting in the guidance that we're producing is to kind of show this is the level of robustness that you need to achieve as you go forward.
1: Welcome to the new HBW Insight Over-the-Counter podcast with me, David Ridley, Senior Editor Europe. In this new podcast, I'll be talking to industry figures and experts about new trends and issues emerging in the global consumer healthcare market. In this special edition of Over the Counter, I'll be speaking to Michelle Redores, Chief Executive Officer of the UK Consumer Healthcare Industry Association, PAGB. Michelle has over 20 years of experience working in the pharmaceutical sector, most of them in OTC. Before becoming PAGB CEO last March, just as the pandemic hit the UK, she worked for Pfizer on some of the biggest RX to OTC switches in recent British history, for example, Nexium Control and Viagra Connect. Ahead of the PAGB's Digital Week, which runs from the 5th to the 9th of July, for which HPW Insight is media partner, we'll discuss the challenges and opportunities of digitalisation for both industry and consumers. In this wide-ranging interview, we dig deeper into the rise of e-commerce, the issues that online advertising brings for medicines, digital health apps and real-world evidence. Don't forget to sign up for Digital Week. You can find the details of how to do that on the HPW Insight page for this podcast episode and on the PAGB website, and watch out for our daily coverage.
0: How are you, David?
1: I'm all right, thanks. How are you, Michelle?
0: Yeah, not so bad, thank you. I've had a little bit of a hectic morning as well, <laughs> with children, computer failures, printer failures, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm the all now. Uh, my the husband joys. just brought me a cup of tea, so I'm feeling a little bit more like, yeah, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, so, good.
1: So. Yeah, it can be a bit mad, can't it? I mean, yes. So how are you set for a uh, digital week? Yes,
0: very much so. We're frantically doing lots of work and lots of PR and stuff at the moment. But I think we're in a pretty good position, actually. I think we're doing pretty well. Um, we, it's a, jam- it's we a jam-packed preparing. schedule, isn't it? It is. And we started to prepare a long time in advance, to be honest. So um, I think we're we're in a good position and just finalising everything at the moment. So yeah, yeah. we're
1: really excited about it. We're looking yeah. forward to all the panels. So uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for being up for doing it. Uh, the podcast. This is our third one uh, in this format. Anyway, me and Tom have done a few, but um, in this format where I'm I'm interviewing p- external people and uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity to talk about digital with, uh, with the event coming up and we can talk a bit more about that. Um, I think at the end we'll just We'll just quickly, you know, run through what people can look forward to, you know, how they can register if they haven't already. Yes. And just mention that HBW will be recovering um, it as media partners.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So, um, so, yeah, so first thing uh, I was interested in, quite a general question, really. <laughs> um, yes. You know, what is self-care? Um, just to kind of set up the, the more specific question of what is digital self-care.
0: Okay, well, PAGP defines self care as actions people take for themselves and their families. So that's the kind of thing where you would promote and maintain good health, um, promote and maintain well being, and also take care of their self treatable conditions. And it's important from our side to realize that self care isn't no care, it's um, and It's about caring um, in a positive way and that may involve support and advice from others such as expert pharmacy teams. And self-care in itself is really um, can be described as a continuum. And you may have seen um, the the continuum diagram on our website, but it looks from promoting everyday well-being. So things like where you may take a vitamin um, to, to help your well-being all the way through. Um, including treating self-treatable um, conditions and to the management of long-term conditions and recovery um, after trauma. So it covers a really wide range of um, areas. And But the, the piece where we really focus on is, um, you know, treating those self-treatable conditions and helping um, maintain the wellness and well-being
1: and so what and so what does how does digital fit into that? What would you say is digital self-care if it's different at all?
0: Well, I think digital supports the self-care. So it's actually one way of supporting people to manage um, their own health care across the continuum. And there's a lot of ways that digital can do that from apps from um, having greater information um, available online. And last year, um, PAGB did an audit um, of the NHS um, digital offering. And was really looking to see how or what the possibilities were um, that technology could support um, self-care. So one of the pieces was that um, they felt that in in NHS England that it would be important to develop a self-care section on the NHS app and the NHS website, which people could always go to and navigate to that had fact sheets and build on um, improving people's understanding of self-care, but also go to a place which was trusted, um, because obviously the NHS websites are trusted and valuable information um, and allow people to um, know what to do um, without necessarily having to contact the doctor. So, you know, they're self-caring and being guided by the information um, in there. But it can also range, you know, a little bit wider as well, Um, you know, looking at the opportunity of exploring apps and wearables um, because, again, they can help support greater self-care. And how could they be used to encourage general well-being and fitness kind of going forward as well? So there's lots of different areas within digital that kind of impact on that self-care agenda.
1: Yeah, and um, like you say, that's um, that's a good point about the the apps and the wearables that are coming out now. I mean, from from my point of view, it seems that industry has been talking about digital for quite a long time, um, but something seems to seems to have changed recently, um, where you're now seeing some really concrete examples, like actual products um, that are, that, are, that are definite consumer healthcare products and linked to like brands. So. You mentioned wearables, the, um, GSK brought out the Volta and knee brace and then you've got the J&J quick miss smart track um, uh, app, well the, the app and the and the NRT product. Um, so you've got some like really kind of high profile, big brand uh, interventions into this area. So, I mean, do you, what do you think has changed um, over the last year or so that that has accelerated this?
0: Well, I think, you know, technology always moves very fast and, um, you know, it's you've got to be able to kind of keep up with um, the technology and what's available out there. But obviously, you know, innovation, especially when it's involving medicines. Um, does take time and you've got the regulations that you need to work within to um, ensure that you're meeting all the requirements and you know at the moment the regulations are you know from a time where technology wasn't as fast-paced and you know perhaps um, as innovative and um, you know back in 2001 where you know the medicines um, was the last medicines legislation change you know digital and and you know the whole smartphones weren't even existing then so the concept of how you kind of tally them together isn't really there in the legislation. So what you've got to kind of the companies have got to you know ensure that they're navigating you know all of this correctly and that does take time and you know innovation um you know you can have the ideas but to get that all working in a good way for medicines is um you know, a little bit harder, you know, and I think also there's now been um, consumers are kind of increasingly ready and willing to embrace digital technology as well. You know, previously, um, you know, it's it's been a while and Fitbits and and things have really helped people have more confidence um, with apps that are linked to kind of consumer healthcare products. So, it's opened up the opportunities a little bit more, you know, with the Nicoric Nicorette Quick Mist um, product, you know, the behavioural programme that's linked to it is is really interesting and really innovative, so and you know that's great and obviously we'd love to see more of that and actually you know in our digital week um we've actually got um the nicorette team talking about their QuickMiss miss smart track product um as part of our apps um day um so again talking a little bit about what the product does and, and how they got to there
1: yeah it is a really interesting product i've done uh, like a series of of interviews with um, with various members of the Nicorette team kind of really diving into that product because yeah. there's a lot to extract from that so uh, yeah, anyone that's interested in that should, should check out the articles on HPW as well. Um, I mean yeah you're pointing there to when you talk about regulation um, and you know the, the technology moving faster yeah. than the regulation does that seems to be like a, a really that points to a really key role for organisations like PHEB and uh, maybe this is a good opportunity for you to just briefly talk about the work you've been doing because PHGB have done a lot of work on this over the last year haven't you?
0: Yeah I mean we've been doing an awful lot of work with regards to digital and you know trying to map out what you can and can't do in all different areas um, of of the spectrum in in terms of products so we've been looking at apps and medical devices and you know what the distinction is between them and when an app becomes a medical device um, and so we're producing guidance that's come out um, on that, which again we're we're sharing in the apps and medical device section at the Digital Week. But we've also been, you know, looking um, wider uh, other areas um, for products that get impacted by digital as well, um, including like real world evidence and um, you know e-commerce and also actually social media. Um, and the impact of um, social media in terms of even advertising some of your products. And so we're trying to really enable our members to fully understand. And, and I think we kind of tried to map what you can do to ensure that you're compliant in this ever-changing area. And you know, now we've mapped it out, we can then continue, one, to update that as changes happen but also look and see where we may want to influence and understand more and, and kind of get involved in all of those different areas as we move forward.
1: Yeah, and we're just going to touch on some of those as well, I think, um, in this podcast, uh, but obviously they'll be explored in more detail in the, in the digital week. Um, but I think, you know, one of the things that has definitely changed is, you know, the coronavirus pandemic or in terms of a factor that's that's made a difference. Um, and we can see some of the specific effects that's had in terms of digital. Um, so, I mean, obviously, people have been using digital technology more because they've been more reliant on uh, on kind of mediated forms of shopping and, and communication. Yeah. But I think, you know, one of the most obvious things we've written about is a boom in e-commerce. Yeah. Um, so what what challenges does that bring for uh, for industry and for consumers from, from PAGB's point of view.
0: Yeah, I think it, it definitely does bring some challenges, but I do I do think there are some opportunities as well, as well there. I think, you know, one of the things that it's made um, companies do is that really understand that if they weren't really on e-commerce platforms beforehand, um, that they really need to get up to speed and, and, and get there. Um, and, you know, it is harder in a regulated um, industry like ourselves for medicines um, to know exactly what you can and can't do. It's not like selling a general product um, because not only have you got the medicines regulations kind of kicking in, um, you know, when things are on um, e-commerce platforms, there's also Um, potential advertising and of course as you're probably aware PAGB has to approve advertising to consumers um, for, um, for medicinal products so it starts getting quite complicated as to what is advertising and what isn't advertising so it's quite a hard path to navigate and you know some of the bigger companies may have already had you know great resource and digital strategy in place but some of our more medium to smaller members may not have really been in that space and have suddenly had to you know upskill themselves and learn um learn much more about that and again that's kind of where we've also started as part of the digital work that we did look at how um what are the requirements for e-commerce and you know ironically we started our digital program way before COVID actually started and before there was this big uptake. But one of the things when I put the strategy together was that e-commerce was up and coming then. Obviously, it's been expedited as a result of the lockdown. But it's making sure that people also understand not just the advertising, but their responsibilities, the utilisation of, you know, when they're on a marketplace, what if they're outsourcing parts of the work to Amazon or other third party fulfillment things and also just simply what are their responsibilities in supply and delivery and also you know if someone actually is ordering a product your product that you've got in the UK from a board are you allowed to sell it so um there's certainly a lot of knowledge gap and again that's one of the things that we're trying to to um overcome and, and help um with the e-commerce work that we've done i think you know the mentioning the, like the online selling you know i think from a from a consumer's perspective you know they want to make sure that the products that they are getting are the correct ones and um you know so i think they've got much wider access um for um medicines but one they want to make sure that the products they're getting is the right correct product but I think also a challenge is that you know they don't necessarily have pharmacy interactions um with um, a pharmacist in for the products that are only available from a pharmacist you know and I think that's kind of something that is still remains a challenge for the e-commerce section is that yeah you can have pharmacist overseeing the sale from an e-commerce perspective but if people have got kind of questions, it's perhaps not quite as easy to have that type of interaction as you would have if you walked into your bricks and mortar shop, um, you know, on your high street or in your village. So I think that's some of the challenges. But I think, you know, from an opportunity perspective, as I said, for uh, for consumers there is, you know, it opens up access to, you know, everything that's available, and it gets delivered to your door, which is obviously a very big convenience factor. And I think for members and our companies, you know, again, they get potentially by going on these platforms, although they may not have necessarily, it's been expedited, that they do actually get a larger audience and potential, you know, selling to much, you know, a much wider audience themselves as well.
1: Yeah, I think you know what you're pointing to there is just how complex just even one part of the uh, digital picture is. I mean, just e-commerce, yeah. you know, brings up all of these issues, uh, yeah. and we're just kind of in the middle of them at the moment, aren't we? But um, yeah, you know, I, think, I think you make some really important points about. You know, I think I think one of the problems we've seen this in in uh, during the pandemic is the kind of f- fake medicines that people are selling online. Um, And, you know, there's there's no matter how much um, organisations and and government agencies crack down on these things, and they really are, um, you know, they're popping up all the time. So I think, you know, one of the challenges is is helping consumers to be able to identify, um, you know, reputable and and non-reputable sellers. But then, like you say, also um, the role that pharmacists traditionally played in helping consumers to, to self-care responsibly also you know that needs to be there as well and 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 there are ways to do that you know there are companies that are doing really interesting things with um you know like algorithmic kind of advice and uh, and you know online forms of communication with healthcare professionals so um, so yeah i mean it all it all kind of points to the role of digital literacy um how how, how important would you say that is
0: i mean i think it, it it definitely is important, and you, you know, we you want to um, ensure that the information that they that the consumers get is secure, and it isn't you know misinformation, um, which you know is obviously a concern. And I mentioned earlier, you know, people going to the NHS because that's a trusted site, and I think you know that's really important, and why we're advocating that places like the NHS have you know, information that is correct on there and, uh, uh, you know, an easy signposting that is trusted going going forward. You know, in our digital audit for self-care last year, you know, we looked at that offering and and obviously that that was one of the conclusions. We've just done another kind of new self-care survey which asked more than 2,000 people about Um, how they access health services including their use of online health information and we're publishing the results later this month Um, although uh, kind of talking of digital week we are previewing some of that in some of the self-care sessions Um, so I can't really divulge any um, findings in detail at the moment But what I can say is there's some interesting statistics about the way people look for health information online and fears that they have about what information they come across is reliable. So, you know, as you say, digital literacy is important and knowing what is trusted um, is is definitely, um, you know, key, I think, in in helping facilitate self-care going forward.
1: I think also it's important to to recognise that consumers um, are maybe uh, more discerning than uh, than we think you know we don't want to assume that it's a very low bar I mean you know you've got some evidence there obviously that you're going to reveal but um, but maybe maybe also there's a kind of positive view where where consumers have maybe gotten a lot better at it over the last you know 12 months as well having spent a lot of time online what what do yeah. you think do you think they're getting better
0: I, I, I mean I, I think that's a, a fair assumption to make I think you know, COVID and the misinformation that has been out around that, um, you know, has been, you know, highlighted in the news, you see it on Facebook, and, you know, lots of different things have come up over the last year, which I think have made people more aware that not everything that you read online is true. And so I think, uh, you know, that 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 has kind of opened people's eyes a little bit um, to the fact that, you know, not everything is correct. And that therefore, you know, when warnings come up, I think it's kind of on Facebook and Twitter that people kind of say this may not be correct information. It's making people definitely become more savvy in checking facts and information. And I think, you know, that can only be positive um, for the self-care industry and making sure that, that they are looking at reputable sources of information to to educate themselves on how to use products properly but not even necessarily using the products themselves but just getting the information that they they need yeah
1: yeah i've seen i've seen that i think that's really positive that um you know the the companies that are that are hosting this kind of information like facebook and Twitter, etc., of taking a bit more responsibility and helping people to be able to become a bit more critical and do some fact checking. I think that's really good. Um, I think just returning to the advertising issue. Um, yeah. I don't know. It seems it seems that this is maybe part of the part of the complexity is that because of the rapid um, speed of technological change, I think a lot of companies, are, you know, it's a complicated. Like you say, it's a complicated. Uh, system to navigate, and and maybe some companies uh, don't quite understand. You know the the extent to which everything that you put in the world and anywhere is is a form of advertising. So you know you get stuff on websites, for example, with CBD, you'll get uh, you'll get companies like quoting consumer feedback on you know the health benefits of CBD, um, and you know as far as I understand that that can be considered a form of um, of advertising. So. So that's so that's you know one of the things that, that that's one of the roles that this kind of um, education you know that PAGB are undertaking can really help with. But then there's also the factors like influencers. you know and this is this is I think one of the things that you'll be looking at. and it's definitely come up quite a lot, you know having people promoting your products online on social media um, and you know how far that's subject to existing advertising guidelines. You know, it's, it's a difficult, I imagine it's very difficult to navigate all this for a company.
0: Yeah, and, and definitely we've got a whole section um, on social media um, in Digital Week and there's already guidance available on our website for members on um, social media um, as a result of the working group and, and all the work that's gone into it. But it is complicated. And I think, you know, social media influence is, is kind of very grey because when does someone who is just doing something on the internet actually then become an influencer and then what does that mean in itself um, as you go forward I, th- I think it's quite difficult for medicines because you're not allowed celebrity endorsement of a medicine and therefore that links into the influencer piece um because if you are an influencer you, almost become by default a celebrity within that area so therefore you have to be very careful how you interact with um, people especially with medicines um, going forward because you the the whole point of the legislation behind it is that you don't want to use somebody who is a celebrity or an influencer to promote medicines, um, you know, and that's come around from, you know, years and years ago where you, you had kind of celebrity endorsement, um, which, you know, just isn't acceptable here in the UK.
1: Yeah, I, again, it just highlights how complex this this is and I think you know one of the extra complexities that already existed in in the sector is you know these borderline cases between medicines and healthcare products uh, food supplements um, and then and then of course medical devices apps where the line is but you know that what might be okay like with food or with um, cosmetics is not okay with medicines yeah. And there are all these products or product categories that kind of bridge that those lines, don't they? And that makes it even more difficult to, to navigate.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the things that we look at because when when you do have a brand that is in multiple categories, so it can include a medicine, a device, and a food supplement or a cosmetic that you mentioned, it does make it a lot harder. And how do you ensure that you're not overstepping the mark? Um on the medicines piece, but because you are allowed to use influencers with devices and food supplements, you know, how do you navigate that situation and again, that's um one of the things that we look at um in the social media guidance um yeah, that we go forward with
1: and yeah, so this leads me to a couple of um a couple of thorny <laughs> complicated questions but um but yeah it it points to this something that I'm quite interested in. That seems to be a strand of work for regulators at the moment. Yeah. But what the difference is between a uh, like a healthcare app um, and a medical device? Um, I mean, yeah, we can't obviously get into the, the details. That's very complicated um, <laughs> question. But 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 yeah, I suppose you know, is there anything you can say about that? And just why why is it important? Like, why is that something yeah. that needs to be sorted out?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, to a lot of people using um, any of the apps, they may not know that they're an app or a medical device. So actually, there isn't always a perceptible difference to the end user, which in a way is one of the complicating factors about it. Or I mean, what it really comes down to is when um, looking at the difference between the two is kind of the perceived use and claims relating to that app or the device and then how that app or device manages data that is generated so um, from a technical point of view the key difference between a healthcare app and a medical device is its intended purpose so that's kind of how the product is presented and then the perception that the consumer has on it so um in a very top line overview, if an application's purpose is intended to diagnose, monitor or alleviate disease, it falls under a medical device definition and therefore should be regulated accordingly. But, um, you know, there are a lot of kind of factors that make it not quite so black and white in that. But, you know, what's important is that you, you want people to have trust in what's out there and I think you know there's a difference between having a a device which is tracking your steps um and or monitoring your heartbeat and giving you that kind of information to an uh, a kind of app that is then telling you well we're looking at that heartbeat and we can tell you that you've got an arrhythmia now if it's doing that it's pro- is kind of giving you a medical diagnosis. And, you know, it's right that if something is doing that, that the level of scrutiny and um, um, validation of all the information behind that, which is what would make it a medical device, is looked at properly to ensure that it's making a true and accurate interpretation stroke diagnosis and therefore a lot of validation needs to be done and you've, you have to do um, an awful lot of work behind the scenes making sure that that data is analysed and stored and interpreted correctly whereas if you're just using an app that is monitoring your heart rate and is just saying oh you're uh, you know 63 beats per minute the amount um, of validation and um, work needed behind that is very different and all you're doing is saying your heart is beating at 63 beats per minute you are not making any interpretation of that which therefore means that it can just be um, an app now both can be used and you know it's interesting for people to know but you're not making any assumptions um, based on that data. And I think as soon as you do start making assumptions and you do start going down the medical route, you know, you as a consumer would obviously want to be really sure that the data and the information that you're being given is correct um, going forward, which is why it's so important that then that becomes a medical device.
1: I think that's a brilliant, uh, a brilliant explanation. Thanks, Michelle. It's really just from looking at it. I know it's it's very difficult to kind of pick apart uh, and it's a work in progress. um, Like I said, but yeah, so thanks for that. And then and then the final the final kind of, um, I suppose, trend, if you like, within within this kind of digital self-care area uh, and the industry is talking a lot about Um, and I think you know the wider pharmaceutical industry has been talking about it maybe longer but um but consumer healthcare starting to see the potential in it as well is uh, real world data and real world evidence and you know the potential for uh, generating evidence for switches or you know new health claims and stuff like that so um yeah what, what do you see is the potential there
0: I think it's got great potential and as you've said it has been um, being used in the wider pharma industry for kind of a lot longer. What we're trying to do is put some definitions out there of what that can mean for OTC products because the difference for us and there are differences between OTC and um, pharma is that obviously people are using these products in a real world environment often without any clinical intervention or oversight at all and therefore it's really interesting to find out what that can mean um, going forward and how can you um, find out information that's happening um, when people are using the products at home in that environment themselves Um, and therefore what data can that then produce to help support different um, aspects of product life cycle and I think you know we've started seeing it definitely at PAGB already where real world evidence studies have been started being used for um, advertising claims and things like that and there's already examples out there of where that's happened and you know we're sharing some of those um, in the um, real world evidence session um, in digital week I think what we're also trying to do is really put a stake in the ground um, to say what would form a robust um, example of real world data and real world evidence. So in our guidance that we have produced, we are giving examples of um, different types of studies and information that we think is important. Um, to ensure that the data that you get out of any study that you do is robust enough to support um, um, to support an evidence um, for for changes both in the product life cycle, but in 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 the advertising, and we see that there, although it hasn't necessarily been used yet, in all different aspects of a product life cycle. I myself have had, um, you know, personal um, experiences of it being used in switches um, and I think that's a very interesting area where it can be further um, utilised. But, you know, an ultimate aim that I would like to see is that if you could generate enough real world evidence, could it actually provide updates to indications or update a medicines SPC going forward? And I think there's definitely opportunities in that area. I think we need to start exploring them more. And certainly the base that we're setting in the guidance that we're producing is to kind of show this is the level of robustness that you need to achieve as you go forward. I think it's also interesting to look at, you know, what's being done already. And, you know, we do uh, routinely in all pharma at the moment, user testing of patient information leaflets. And when you actually look at what that consists of, I would argue that that is a type of real world evidence. You're actually out there um, talking to 20 people um, 20 individuals and asking whether they can find and understand information in a patient information leaflet, and you're doing that via an interview mechanism. Now, obviously, that's not digital, although I know they had to um, go digital and do that online through COVID. But you know that is producing data, which is then shaping what comes out and what gets approved. And I think there's a really exciting opportunity to further develop things like that and get them um agreed and utilized within the regulatory system going forward um to enable you know wider product life cycle applications of the real world evidence
1: yeah i think you make a really good point there where you know we it's one of those buzzwords that that you forget what it you know what it also can mean i think real world evidence has been used for a long time you know in just in, in non-digital forms, um, so it's important to remember that. But I suppose also real-world evidence in, in the way that has been used within, you know, conversations about digital, brings us right back uh, to the beginning where we talked about like apps and wearables. And I think yeah, like you say, with, in the OTC space, you know, there's this whole world of use which is which is outside. Um, um, you know, happens after the approval outside pharmacies a lot of the time. When you have GSL products, for yeah. example,
0: exactly. So, yeah. So having
1: yeah. these having these tools to generate the data to find out what's going on there is going to be really important, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think I, I think that's true. But I also think you know now we have digital kind of forums online. You also are able to actually do research. As well, so you know you've obviously got the generating data which can to support things. But if you're also wanting to find out and do more research on also what people have done in the past or how they've acted or how they've utilised it, having digital platforms with questions on there also actually increases um, the ability to get feedback from you know consumers and patients which may have happened in a more face-to-face way previously, um, you can also get much larger numbers and start generating more information just through the facilitation of digital use and online use of questionnaires and, and data and really churn and get much more information out of it in that way as well.
1: So, um, so I mean, I hope hopefully we've generated a bit of excitement for the digital week just by talking about these issues and pointing to the the sessions, Um, but I don't know if you just want to just briefly point the listeners towards um, the event, how they can sign up, say, you know, a bit more about what they can expect.
0: Yeah, so that's great. Um, You can sign up on the PAGB's website, which is pagb.co.uk. And um, we've got all the information on there um, about each um, daily session and what's in it. What we've done is we had five work streams originally that we developed our strategy in and we've allocated each work stream to one day. So you can either go in and buy a ticket for the whole day and um, learn about you know, the specific area like e-commerce, for example, that you might be interested in or you can buy a week ticket and look at um, all of the content. Um, We've got um, opening plenary from Google, and we've got two speakers from Google coming along, telling us how they see um, how digital can help um, the future of healthcare. And we've got a closing plenary from IQVIA um, as well, which is kind of summing up um, where we're at and and kind of what the future looks like as well. So we've got all the different topics and two excitingly, two exciting keynote speeches in there. Um, and obviously um, David and his team at HBW or our media partners are going to be um, going along um, to each session and hopefully summarising um, and providing updates of, of what we've um done each day as we move forward.
1: Yeah, and we're really excited about that and we'll, we'll put on the, with the story when we publish the podcast on the HBW website, we'll also just put a link to the sign up page and, and everything there as well. So it's easy to, to access from the page. And uh, and like Michelle says, we'll be covering it, um, doing daily summaries, which will be available on HPW. But also I think you're going to distribute that as well, uh, Michelle, through the through the PAGB guest um, email list.
0: Yes, that's my understanding.
1: Brilliant. Well, yeah, thanks for that. I think that was a brilliant um, discussion. So much detail. Um, I mean, it's so great to have such a knowledgeable um, CEO of, of our local Consumer Healthcare Industry Association. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you very much, David.
1: Thanks for listening to Over the Counter. Watch out for new episodes in the future on the HPW Insight website, on our LinkedIn and Twitter pages and on SoundCloud. See you soon.